Hello everyone, welcome back to Birdcast, the only podcast recorded inside of Live Avery. And today we are back with episode 2 concerning the unnecessary bird deaths that are caused through sliding glass windows and fencing. So sit back and relax and join Dan on his quest to solid air, how to save billions of wild birds. Good day to my interested bird friends in Australia. This is a continuation of my sharing about my book, Solid Air, Invisible Killers, Saving Billions of Birds from Windows, in Australia and around the world. My name is Daniel Clem, Jr., and I was asked, what would be my favorite bird? Well, I frequently get this question when I'm giving talks or... Of course, many of my students want to know, do I have a favorite bird? And my answer is consistently the same. All of them are my favorites. Actually, of the 10,500 species estimated to be on planet Earth, every one of them has its own evolutionary history and charm. And as we learn more about their natural history, we can't help but wonder how uniquely special each and every one of them is. So for me, at least, to pick out a particular species and highlight it would be expecting too much. They're all my favorite. I suppose maybe my mind would change or I would have a different attitude towards picking out a favorite if I lived in Australia, because Australia has such extravagantly beautiful birds, from your rainbow lorikeets to your cockatoos to your budgigars and the whole host of others that are just strikingly attractive, beautiful, and useful. I want to say now, too, like I'll probably repeat, bird deaths occur flying into windows wherever glass and plastic in the form of windows and birds coexist. We, as humans, have to be responsible stewards of our planet. Because of the utility and usefulness of birds, it's our responsibility to protect them. Because the birds themselves have no voice. They're always innocent victims, and we can solve this. And every piece of information that I've gathered the world over, I have learned and it's been reinforced over and over again. The reason they fly into windows is because they just don't see them. They're invisible to them. Clear panes show habitat on the other side, and the birds attempt to reach it, and they get whacked. Reflective panes, which most windows in the environment in human structures are reflective, because even a perfectly clear window covering a darkened room will act like a mirror. And that illusion of the facing habitat and sky is real to the bird. It flies into it and kills itself. At specific sites where I was able to monitor because the residents of those buildings lived in them year-round, collecting data for a year and a half, I learned that every two strikes results in an outright death. And those that fly away, based on my study of the injuries that they sustain, suggest that those that fly away also perish. Regarding solutions, I tend to divide that up into two types, short-term and long-term. Short-term solutions are using techniques that 
can be applied to existing windows. Because after all, the whole world needs to be retrofitted if we're going to protect birds. And what can we use? Well, if you have mosquito netting or insect screening, you can keep that up year-round. That'll keep the bird from hitting the unyielding surface. There are strings, paracords, that can be put in front of windows, separated by four inches vertically, or if taut horizontally two inches. Um, my very earliest experiments revealed what kind of patterning do you need to put on a window to keep a bird from hitting and transforming it into a barrier that it will see and avoid? And the answer to that is you have to have pattern elements. They could be lines or dots, diamonds. But if you orient them vertically in columns, you need to separate them by four inches. And if you orient them horizontally in rows, they need to be separated by two inches. And people often ask, well, why the difference? Well, I don't know. Again, the birds are not telling us. Really, they have no voice. We have to interpret what they see and what they do from the knowledge that we gain from studying them. And my reasoning is, look, at birds need and give wider space around tree trunks than they do branches when they're trying to scoot between them. So hence, the four inches is a little bit more wider on the vertical presentation and a little bit tighter on the horizontal presentation. More recently, conservation groups have been advocating for two inches, five centimeters, separating both vertical and horizontal patterning. And the whole window has to be uniformly covered with this, and that successfully will transform the window into something that birds will see and avoid. Now, this short-term solution, you can use external films, you can use these paracords, and that placed over the outside surface, which is important, solves the problem because the bird sees the window and avoids it. The reason the outside surface is important is because if you try to put stickers or any kind of decals or tape or anything on the inside, Remember that most windows reflect the facing habitat and sky, and that reflection hides what you're trying to use to protect them if you put those markers on the inside. The exceptions are corridors or what Canadians call linkways between buildings where there's clear glass on either side, or atria where you can see vegetation inside. All of these things, you can have the patterning on the inside because both humans and birds can see them. Other studies that I've conducted, which is a story in the book, but a little bit longer tale to share with you here. But the bottom line is, is that birds see things that we can't. They have special cells in their eyes. They can see ultraviolet signals, ultraviolet patterning. And if you separate this ultraviolet patterning, like you do the visual signals two by four, which is often referred to as a two by four rule, or in the case of reducing it to two inches by two inches, five centimeters by five centimeters, that's called the two by two rule. But if you make patterning with ultraviolet markers in these same dimensions, you also transform the window into a barrier that birds will see and avoid. And here's the neat part about that. Birds see it, we don't. And so, therefore, there's no visual noise. There's no markers to distract you. You see it out of your window just like you would if, you'd, if, if, if nobody put anything on it at all. Now, one of the first experiments I did to reveal this was with an external film. And that was this whole issue of using ultraviolet because of we, we don't see it and they do. I called the elegant solution 
But this film manufacturer that had a successful product refuses to this day to make it available for commercial sale because they can't wrap their heads, as they put it, in their marketing department around how much the bunny hunters and the tree huggers will buy. No matter how much I've tried to convince them by having people from our government, from conservation groups and others write them and say, even if our local, regional, state and provincial and uh, <coughs> federal parks who, are, who have visitor centers that are palatially covered with glass, they alone, if they bought this product, would make up what investment they would put into it. They're still unconvinced. Now, so retrofitting and using these ultraviolet signals is still a challenge and an ongoing cause, ongoing goal. But some glass manufacturers, one called Walker Glass in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, another one called uh, Guardian Glass in our state of Michigan, they've produced novel ultraviolet signal glass for remodeling a new construction. And that I called the long-term solution because you're using glass and remodeling a non in and new construction so that's going to be bird safe from the get-go from the beginning and on into the life of that building so i'd like to emphasize that when you think about again returning to this environmental problem issue what are we hearing in addition to the oil spills Every day on our national news broadcasts and international news around the world, we're learning about the problems of climate change. Now, this is an unbelievably intractable problem that's going to require a tremendous amount of cooperation around the globe. And you can hear by the kinds of exchanges that take place in the world that it's not going as well as we'd like. We're not succeeding very much. Climate change is complex, it's unbelievably problematic, and it's existential. But this particular issue, making our built environment, making our buildings safe for birds, this is solvable. Nearly five decades of my research has revealed the solution. And within the last 10 years, more people have been learning about it and implementing it, like those glass manufacturers. As I said, we're still working on the film, guys. So here's something we can solve tomorrow. We, just as humans, need the will. And I need all of you that are listening to this to think about this seriously. Use your reasoning and use your energy and talents to try to save these animals. One of the chapters in my book, for example, are what can homeowners and advocates do. And I give examples of writing a letter to developers and architects and so on. And I, and I even have a whole example of what one could use for uh, legislation, for zoning laws, to ensure that the buildings that we build are safe for birds. All of these things are integral and an important part. I write in the book, too, that you have to be careful you know, some sources of human mortality may take a disproportionate amount of birds. For example, wind turbines, they take a disproportionate amount, at least from studies in North America, of birds of prey. And their populations are smaller than many of the birds that are killed quite frequently at windows. Uh, birds of prey are killed at windows at quite regularity as well, but the vireos and the warblers and the sparrows that are in far greater numbers 
being killed at windows. So being sensitive to which sources of mortality need to be addressed in which ways, for my part, I'm trying to explain this horrific and universal threat that glass and plastic in the form of windows pose to these animals and plead with anyone who will listen to help correct that. And who are those people that would be listening? Well, first of all and foremost, to me, the reason I wrote the book was for every citizen on the planet, and it was an attempt to convince them, to inform them, and to incite them, and to cobble together a critical mass of individuals that would force the developers and the architects and others to make our environment safe for birds. That's the main point. But others that would be interested would be those individuals that are party to manufacturing windows, the glass manufacturers, film manufacturers that could be party to the solution, legal people where there are laws in our, in our countries and international treaties that protect these birds that we're required to save, uh, and conservation groups to include zoos and others where visitors come and the very glass that have, for example, in, in, in zoological park enclosures, they kill the wild birds that live in the area and not the birds, of course, that are in the zoo itself. So <clears throat> demonstrating through these public means the level of tragedy and the solutions are important. Let me tell you about what happened when I received some technical reviews of my original book manuscript. Some of the reviewers said, Dan, you need to end your book with something that will capture their attention or, or try to bring people back to the importance of this particular topic for saving the lives of birds. And I thought about that, and I came up with this description of, imagine, if you will, a population in which the members of that population are losing individuals, family members, leaders, neighbors. Uh, they see them disappearing. They're saddened. They're remorseful. They, 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 but they don't know what to make of it. They can't comprehend why they're going, and they're witnesses to this. They're perplexed and frustrated, and the strongest members of their among them are dying as well as the weak. So now picture a visitor, an alien visitor, comes to that population and can see what they can't. They can see what the problem is, and they solve the problem, and they save the population, and the population begins to recover and gain its health back. And so I write in the book at the end, Think about that invisible force that's killing them as windows. And think about us humans as their saviors, the ones who can see the problem and solve it for them. Let me end a bit by telling you about these falcons, these small falcons that we have in North America called American kestrels, and they get into abandoned houses through the roof, probably looking for nest sites. And because the houses are abandoned, many people have left attic ways, doors open into the roofs. And the birds get down through that opening into the main part of the house. And then they are attracted by the light into a room. And then they're in that room looking out a clear window 
and seeing the world that they just left. When I go into these houses and I find these poor animals, such horrific deaths that they had experienced, emaciated bodies, windows soiled with them trying to fly into it, they see that compelling image of vegetation and sky out in front through the window, but they can't comprehend why they can't reach it. And they don't have the wherewithal to retrace themselves. The power of that image and trying to reach that habitat is so great that they're unable to change their behavior and they perish there. It's almost too sad to describe. I'll also tell you about a fellow who, just to uh, alert you to those naysayers that may try to say, well, I've never heard about this and uh, it's not happening. Uh, there was a guy named Joe Bartell, right? He was a member of the Detroit Audubon Society in our city of Detroit and Michigan. And he moved to Denver, Colorado, our state of Colorado in the, in the West. And he joined the local Audubon Society, asked them what they were doing about the window problem. And they, as a group, told them, doesn't happen in Denver. And he said, well, I know this guy in Pennsylvania. And he says, it's happening everywhere. If you look, and they said, oh, no, no, it doesn't happen in Pennsylvania. So he did something, what I always believe in, why I like to tell the story, quite creative. He called the professional window washers in the city of Denver. And he asked every one of them, ever heard about birds flying into windows? And their answer, all the time. So if you look in your town, in your own home, I cannot tell you how many times people have told me that doesn't happen at my house. And I've gone to their homes and I've walked around and I've shown them some practical evidence that it does. Again, wherever birds and windows occur, you're going to have these kind of tragedies. And if you look for them, I promise you'll find them. Thank you for listening to me. I welcome any questions you might have and a follow-up. Thank you again and have a terrific day. Thanks, Dan, for taking the time to chat with us all about this significant problem for wild birds. I hope Dan's discussion has inspired you to make a required bird-safe changes to all the glass in your life. As always, all relevant links we posted in the show notes and spoken about photos and information will be shared on our Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit pages. Personally, my ultimate outcome for our time with Dan would be to get some very clever Australians listening to BirdCast to create and retrofit window film with the 2x2 UV markers and that they can freely sell this window film to the general public. I hope they are listening. Okay, so I don't normally come on towards the end of our bird podcast, but I did think this was one thing that is very, very important. It's not really sitting well with me that the fact that we lose just in Australia alone hundreds of thousands of free-flying birds that will hit glass now that may be glass doors uh, you know glass windows glass pool fences and it's really really sad I mean I've seen it I've witnessed it it's a huge huge problem throughout the world we even had BirdLife Australia here just before all the COVID hit they were doing a project and requesting people to report in in a bit of a survey if you'd had birds that had hit clear glass in your house or like I say pool fencing or anything like that was to detail it give them numbers so you know 
up in Queensland or Brisbane area, they're trying to come up with solutions of birds that are hitting commercial buildings and obviously, you know, they, they, they die. Like I say, there's companies in America um, that have researched it and have made a product, but they feel that it's not something that they um, will sell a lot of. I would just love to think that there might be someone out there that can design with, um, you know, that may not listen to this podcast, but we may have one of our podcast people that listen that knows someone that could just um, create or invent some sort of film. I know they're out there that would go on the on the glass windows because it's really sad to hear and see that we lose so many birds. Uh, you know, we've had some world-renowned experts come on and talk about it. And I would just love to think that somewhere some person may be listening that thinks, well, that's something that I know I could do or someone could do. And I'm surely if we all get together, we might be able to solve uh, a problem that's worldwide. All right, then. Thanks very much. See you. Bye.